The Providence Journal presents Nick and Bob, the college basketball podcast for Rhode Island and around the nation with your hosts, Kevin McNamara and Bill Koch. Hello and welcome to the Providence Journal's Pick and Pop podcast. This is the first edition of 2019. Awful happy that I remembered 2019. It's always difficult in the first couple days of the new year to switch that last digit. Uh, Mr. Koch, I hope you're a good digit switcher, and welcome to the podcast. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, Kevin. Uh, not making out any personal checks anytime soon, I can tell you that. Yeah, go slow on that. That's always the uh, the speed bump early in the year. That's all. Um, all four local college basketball seasons uh, teams, I should say, are in the thick of their seasons, or two of just about to get started with uh, conference play. Everybody else will be in soon enough, and uh, we're going to hit all four. Before we get into the individual team breakdowns, we're going to kick on this uh, New Year's Eve, New Year's uh, theme, and we're going to have resolutions for all four teams. Uh, William, you're going to start us with a resolution for the Bryant Bulldogs. The Bryant Bulldogs, uh, to defend their home court, the somewhat renovated Chase Center, uh, mm. you know, new bleacher seats on both sides, chair backs on one side, uh, you know, f- spiffy new bleachers on the other side, to defend their home court. Uh, they haven't had a weekend sweep of a conference opponent since the 2016-17 season. Ouch. Uh, they beat Robert Morris on February 16th of that year, which was a Thursday, and they beat St. Francis of Pennsylvania uh, on February 18th of that year, which was a Saturday. And you know, as we know, Kevin, generally there's not a lot that separates the teams in the NEC mm. uh, in terms of talent level, in terms of home court advantage. Um, they're generally places where people feel like they can go and win. Uh, so you'd like to see Bryant as a first step under Jared Grasso to establishing themselves as the program that he wants to build. You'd like to see them protect Smithfield. And so uh, you know, Bryant has a chance to do that this weekend, playing St. Francis Brooklyn on Thursday and LIU Brooklyn on Saturday. I'd like to see an outer borough sweep by the Bulldogs. Right away. Uh, get that resolution checked off right this weekend with those two games. Bryant uh, comes in. Uh, to league play at three and eight, and uh, we'll circle back to them in a little bit. But yes. uh, uh, I'm going to give it a New Year's resolution for the Brown Bears. Uh, the Brown Bears would really do well by themselves by sweeping Yale. The uh, Ivy League schedule is is the most bizarre in the country because they have uh, the fewest number of teams of any league and fewest number of weekends to play games. They really don't get going until the last weekend in January. So Brown will open with a home game against Yale on January 19th and then a game at Yale on January 25th. How about a sweep? That'll that'll get Mike Martin's crew up and running. You know, it's a very ambitious goal. Yale is the number one team in the league per Ken Palm. Uh, the only team in the top 100. They're at 95 currently. Ah, what does he know? What does he know? He's a hack. He only sets all the betting lines in the nation, pretty yeah, much. Yeah. Uh, for folks stat, who going up, stat geek. Yeah, for folks who are going up to Twin River and you wonder where the spreads come from, a lot of them are from computer simulations these days. Uh, Ken Palm being at the forefront of that with his statistical metrics. Uh, Yale has one of the best players in the league, Oni, I'd love to see him go head-to-head with Desmond Cambridge from Brown, the explosive guard. I think that matchup would be a lot of fun. And obviously, Kevin, as we know, if Brown can get a, a split or, even better, a sweep of Yale, uh, you're well on your way towards potentially breaking into that top four and being at the palestra at the end of the season. That's it. Um, how about down in Rhodey? What uh, can be their resolution? Uh, to shoot the three better. Um, to be better from three-point range. Because Rhode Island, to this point, 
under David Cox has been pretty good defensively. Uh, traditionally, that was one of their strengths under Dan Hurley. They have a top 50 defense. They defend the three very well. They're in the top 15 in that nationally. Uh, but shooting the three, they're at 25.6% through 12 games. That's in the 340s nationally. Uh, individuals, you look at Fats Russell, he's 15 for 83 Eighteen percent, uh, you know, really having a difficult time from the perimeter, and for Rody to sort of make things easy on themselves without necessarily a proven go-to scorer going into the league. Jeff Doughton has shown some signs that he can be that, but we haven't seen him do it against league competition, night in and night out. You'd like to see Rhode Island make life a little easier for themselves and knock down a few perimeter shots. Okay, and to wrap it up, uh, I'm going to uh, give the. Providence Friars resolution to share with their neighbors a little bit more. Be yes. nice with their friends. Uh, Ed Cooley has had a the Big East uh, assist leader for, I believe it's seven of his eight years uh, at Providence. Vincent Council, uh, Bryce Cotton, Chris Dunn, Kyron Cartwright. Uh, they're not going to have the Big East leader in assists this year. Uh, David Duke is not a pass-first point guard. Um, they don't really have one on their roster, so they need assists up and down their lineup and in some games, that's been a problem. It certainly was in the Friars' loss to Creighton when they only finished with 12 assists uh, You know, in, in that loss. Yeah, and only three assists in the first half of that game. And, and a missed opportunity for Providence because Creighton was struggling offensively early, uh, weren't necessarily shooting it that well, um, were allowed sort of a 20-minute grace period by the Friars to get comfortable. And then in the second half, they really took off in a 79-68 win. And, and I think we'll we'll start with the Friars here because they yeah. are the first team to play a conference game among the four that we cover here. Uh, and it was a, a situation, Kevin, where it would have been a nice start. You got two home games at the dunk, which has been rare for Providence in recent seasons. You had Creighton coming in, a, a young team, a, an inexperienced team. Um, albeit one with all good losses, four against the uh, Ken Palm Top 25. Uh, and this was a game that got away from Providence in the second half and, and one that they might look back on maybe a month, two months from now and say we might have missed a chance there for a good win. Yeah, well, I, I think the Big East this year is, uh, you know, th- there's no number one seeds. There's no top 15 teams like there's been, you know, for several years running now. Sure. Uh, but there's an awful lot of balance. And that usually means you can <coughs> probably steal a few road games, but you better win at home. And Providence, I thought, really got a break in the schedule by being able you know, to open with Creighton and then Villanova, a young Villanova team that I think is going to really get better as the year goes on and to be able to get them uh, right away. Great opportunity for the Friars, but they let the first one slip through their fingers because Bill and we've talked about this a few times this year. Uh, the pre pregame, you know, top item on the scouting report uh, for the Creighton game was you got to guard that three point line, and uh, Providence did not check that off the list. And again, that's happened a few times with the Friars this year. Uh, Creighton came in and made 13 three-pointers, which is just inexcusable. Yeah, nine for 13 in the second half. Uh, A team that shoots 43% for the year. They're in the top five nationally in three-point shooting. And, you know, a team that doesn't necessarily have much of an inside presence. Uh, You know, as you mentioned before we came on the podcast, they're missing Jacob Epperson, uh, who's a sophomore big guy, 6'11", who can play a little bit in the paint. Uh, Without him, you you sort of have a a mid-rangeish type of guy in Martin Crumple, who's 6'9". 
but otherwise, you're, you're playing a bunch of guys who are shooting guards and, and small forwards and who like to be interchangeable, play on the wing, be able to make shots in open space. And, you know, Providence didn't necessarily do a great job of guarding the ball. And they allowed it. They allowed some drives and some kickouts from the perimeter to the wings and guys like Mitch Ballack and and Tyshawn Alexander, who got uh, who really got it going in the second half. Uh, they lived for those opportunities and, and made Providence pay. Yeah, one more player that needs to be mentioned is Marcus Zagorowski. Uh, Marcus is Michael Carter Williams's half brother. Yes, uh, who went to school up at Tilton Academy in New Hampshire, grew up in Massachusetts, and he goes to college in Nebraska. And I'll give Preston Murphy, the assistant out there, yes. uh, former URI star and assistant coach, with a great evaluation of Marcus. He's a perfect fit for Creighton because he can make shots. He's a shot maker. Does he jump out of the gym? Is he going to be a great defensive player? Who cares? He can catch, shoot, handle the ball, and pass. And uh, 12 points off the bench, two threes. Um, you know he he fits in really well, and for the first time maybe all season, Providence's bench was outscored twenty to sixteen. Uh, Providence got nothing off the bench from uh, Isaiah Jackson, who's been their sixth man uh, all year and really had a, had a very strong and consistent se- uh, season. And uh, you know it, it, it's a difficult loss. Uh, Ed Cooley went out of his way to say it's not the end of the world. Uh, I agree with him because you know Villanova is you know I, I look at it as a great opportunity for Providence. Again, this is not. You know your father's Villanova, or your mother's Villanova, or your sister's Villanova. They they lost four guys to the NBA, um, replaced them with an awful lot of new faces. Uh, they've had a few losses already this year. At Penn being the one that jumps out the most. Uh, mm-hmm. um, Furman, Furman at home. Yeah. So yeah. you know I, I, that said, uh, they're getting better. Uh, last time I saw them, they they took uh, Danny Hurley in uh, Connecticut to the woodshed at the garden so they're they're going to be good and will keep getting better uh, but Providence has a really good opportunity on on Saturday yeah the one thing to look for out of Villanova is we record this on a Wednesday uh, Colin Gillespie the point guard is not playing at DePaul tonight uh, he's battling concussion symptoms uh, that's something to watch going forward uh, you know obviously that would put the ball in the hands of Javon Quinterly the five-star freshman who did not play very much early on in the season uh, is getting in the lineup a little bit more recently. He was good against UConn. Yeah, he's yeah. he's uh, Jay Wright has wanted to address his defensive deficiencies. Uh, that's something that he struggled with early on. Uh, but you're not a top 25 in the you're not a top 25 player in the nation and a five star recruit if you don't have talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this could be the opportunity that he needs to get some extended run, 20 25 minutes at a time, and potentially make a little bit of an impact. Uh, in, in Providence's case that benefits you because you have David Duke, your own freshman, who's able to go head-to-head with someone his age. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be an interesting ball game. And then Providence has a break next week with no game until the following Saturday at Georgetown. So needless to say, a uh, very big game against Villanova on Saturday with a chance to defend their home court and uh, right the ship a little bit. Right. Uh, the University of Rhode Island will also get into league play this Sunday with its opener at St. Louis. The Rams are coming off a, uh, well, a rare home game. We saw the Rams in the state of Rhode Island on the uh, 30th, just a few days ago, down at the Ryan Center, 72-60. Excuse me. Boy. I don't know if that was a Snickers or what was that, but uh, excuse me. That's bad bad radio here or (laughs) podcasting or what have you, but... uh, 
Maybe we can get our assistants to come out and get us some uh, refreshments for the rest of the podcast. Kevin Mack so excited to talk about the Rams that he lost his voice. Wow. Folks. Well, you can take it away, Bill. You were at that game. 72-60. Rhode Island kind of danced uh, in place for a little while, and uh, but they got it done in the second half. Yeah, the, the only home game that, that Rhodey is going to play between November 28th and January 13th, which is an astonishing length of time. Obviously, you play three games in Hawaii. That that addresses some of that. You play West Virginia on a neutral site at Mohegan, which is essentially a home game. So that addresses probably the rest of that. But it was a welcome return home for Rhodey. It took them until the second half to really get going. They were down seven points. Uh, and then their freshman sort of keyed a 26-3 to run. Probably the best contribution as a group that they have made so far. Uh, the run started when Jermaine Harris grabbed an offensive rebound. He got fouled. He made two free throws. Uh, Tyrese Martin had a putback on the break. He had a career-high eight rebounds. And then Dana Tate, three for three from three-point range, 15 points, which was a career-high, matched his career-high with six rebounds. And, and Kevin, as we've said all along, um, it's not really fair to these freshmen to ask them to do this, but the reality is for Rhode Island, those guys are going to have to play well and contribute for this team to be good. Yeah, well, your friend Ken Palm uh, gets into the details so much in college basketball. He rates the uh, experience level of every team, and you know, there's 352, 356 teams in the country, and Rhode Island is uh, experience-wise 303 in the country. They're, they're that young, and we've seen that. You know, Rhodey finishes its non-conference. Slate seven and five, uh, two losses out in Hawaii were flip games that didn't go their way. That happens with young teams. Uh, Bill, I- I'm encouraged. I know Middle Tennessee is not good, uh, three and ten, only one Division One win. But uh, I was just encouraged to see Dana Tate play and play well, and that would be twice in the last four, four games, games yep. uh, where he made some shots because th- that wasn't the Dana Tate that, that I had seen so far. It was just more, he's, he's just kind of a player, you know, just kind of working around, a pretty physical kid around the basket, but he shot the ball well, made three threes. Tyrese Martin, the other freshman, had eight rebounds and seven points off the bench. The, it's non-negotiable. Those two guys need to be contributors in every game because uh, their they're, you know, depth is that thin. Right, and at this point, obviously, you're going into league play. You won a conference tournament two years ago. You won the regular season title last year. Regardless of whether or not your coach left or you graduated five seniors, Rhode Island is going to be a bunch of marked men, right. uh, When they, especially when they go into opposing gyms like they will on Sunday at St. Louis. Uh, two seasons ago, they won by 34 at St. Louis. It was a 90-56 to 56 blowout, and don't think for a second that Travis Ford doesn't remember every single second of that one Hmm. um you know but this is just a new reality for for roadie this is what success does it it turns you into a target and when you open up the season at st louis at richmond home to george mason home to st bonaventure and then at LaSalle, your record could be whatever it is coming out of those games but each of those games is going to play out like a heavyweight fight the other team is going to bring their best every single night You're, you're not going to be able to be anonymous anymore and I think for Rhode Island the sooner that their young guys their freshmen especially realize that the more success that they're going to be able to have going forward in the A-10. No no question there's a different intensity in league play and I know that the Rams have talked about that an awful lot I know that David Cox talked about that in the post uh, game of the Middle Tennessee game and uh, we'll see who's ready to go I do have a few concerns with the Rams though and one is the consistent inconsistent shooting of Vats Russell, uh, three for 13 from the field, one for eight 
from the three-point line, uh, you know, obviously they, they need him to, to be a consistent double-figure scorer for, uh, for any success to happen. Yeah, uh, a little bit better the last two games. He had seven assists against Hawaii and five against Middle Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So playing reasonably well as a facilitator with the ball in his hands, I, I think that's encouraging. Um, against Hawaii, you know, had a tough night shooting, obviously, four for 16, and, and took a shot late in that game that he probably shouldn't have taken. There, there was a little bit less of that against Middle Tennessee. Um, but I think you're, you're just seeing, even the veteran guys here, their roles are evolving as well. This isn't just the young guys trying to figure their way through. You look at Jeff Doughton right now as their leading scorer, and mm-hmm. his assists are down by about one and a half a game. They're asking him to score the ball more because he's proven that he can do that. Totally different role. And, uh, and he's different. really adjusted well. He's been very consistent. Um, you know, could shoot the three a little bit better, although that's really perked up in the last four or five games as well. Uh, you know, he, he's online to be an all league player, which is what we projected at the beginning of the year. But you're right, his stats will be will be very different. Uh, Bill, just a quick look around the Atlantic Ten because. You know, the league had a really tough start non-conference, you know, playing some up games and losing them and then getting surprised by some lower level teams. But I do, I have seen, you know, I'd say maybe half the teams in the league kind of settle in. And I think we know who's going to be a factor and not quite sure where the Rams fit in all that, but uh, St. Louis could be at the very top. Yeah, the the teams toward the top, according to Ken Palm, the teams in the top 100 are, are teams that you would expect to be there. Uh, I thought Davidson would win the league preseason. Kellen Grady has obviously been hurt and, and missed a little time, but you know the combination of him and Bob McKillop on the sidelines, I, I think they're going to be there at the end. Um, St. Louis w- was the preseason favorite to win the league. Um, you know they've played a tough schedule. I, I certainly think that you know they can be there the way they defend. Uh, you could say the same thing for VCU. They had a nice road win at Texas. Uh, Kevin, you saw Texas up close and personal. How big and physical they are, and, and how difficult they. Would be just can't make a shot. Yeah, that's that's yeah. their issue, which is and, a problem. And VCU yeah. beat them in a game that was played in the fifties. Right, and and Dayton is in that mix as well. Dayton there as well. So you're you're sort of seeing, unlike maybe the last couple of years where Rhodey emerged toward the top of the league, you're seeing maybe some of the traditional powers have a little bit of a resurgence now, whether it be VCU, Dayton. St. Louis teams that traditionally St. Joseph's yeah St. Joe's is going to be there as well they mm-hmm. they've had a a little bit of a difficult non-conference going seven and five but you have Fresh Kimball and Charlie Brown you're going to be in games you're you're seeing the programs particularly VCU and Dayton mm. who have invested heavily spend money on their programs have great attendance every night very tough place to win on the road um, those teams don't stay down for very long as we know. And I also think that next level, and I think Rhode Island's probably in that next level. Uh, UMass would be in that level with, you know, a, a Pipkins, you know, the most dynamic scorer in the league. Yeah, uh, I think Duquesne is dangerous. Uh, you know, St. Bonnie has really had a tough time, but you know, I have a hard time believing that they're going to go into oblivion. Uh, you know, th- th- there's there's some teams in that you know maybe six to eleven range that Rhode Island's not going to walk over anybody. Yeah, they're, they're, the issue for Rhodey as I see it, is the last two years you were 14-4 and four on the road combined. And that was with a veteran, experienced team, a bunch of guys who had played together for a long time, who had answers, whether it be Jared Terrell on one night or E.C. Matthews on another night or Hassan Martin on a third night. Uh, and it's going to be up to this team to try and figure out who will be the guy to carry them. They, they had so many different ways of winning games mm. the last two years. And, and this year, I don't know if they have that many answers. And you'll see that 
come out on the road when you play at St. Louis, at Richmond. You play Duquesne once. That's on the road. That's not going to be an easy game to win. You play UMass on the road and then play them at home. If Pipkins comes out and scores 35 points, you're going to have a hard time beating them. Um, So there really isn't anything that you can take for granted on Rhode Island's schedule this year. It's going to take great focus every single night for them to play at the top of the league. And, you know, that starts at the top with David Cox and how he gets his guys mentally prepared and focused to go in and take an opponent's best shot. And I do give them credit with the exception probably of the uh, Bucknell game. Defensively, they, they have played consistently strong. And yes. that was the case again against Middle Tennessee. They held them to only 30% shooting. Um you know, uh, you know, 60 points is 60 points. You're going to win a lot of games. You can hold teams to 60. Uh, again, we'll see if uh, how that carries over to conference play, uh, especially with so many young players. And the Rams do open with two on the road at St. Louis at Richmond. Uh, the team that's probably, you know, playing the best right now and is you know, postseason, you know, maybe maybe they're the team to watch is the Brown Bears, uh, nine and four. Uh, with a game uh, tonight, Wednesday, against Maine at home, a game they should be favored to win. Uh, and then they'll go to Canisius next week on Tuesday and then play Johnson and Wales in their last game before the um, Ivy League picks off. So they could have as many as 12 wins going into the Ivy League. So this, this is a different level uh, of success for Brown. And, uh, Bill, you and I both watched it, uh, the 82-61 win over San Diego State. I think it was Scott Cordishi, the longtime radio guy for the Bears, said it was probably the most impressive non-conference win he's ever seen the Brown Bears have. 15 three-point shots, and Bill, it was never a game. No, it was a demolition. There's really no other way to describe it. If anything, the final score flatters San Diego State a little bit, in my mind. Brown was up by 30 late in the first half. They were up by 34 early in the second half. When you go 20 for 28 from the field like they did in the first 20 minutes. It's really hard to contain them. Um, And you look at Brown and the way that they shared the ball in this game, 21 assists on 31 field goals. You saw that sort of offensive continuity and and cohesiveness that Mike Martin looks for. Plays a lot of undersized guys who can handle the ball, who can get into the paint, who can kick it out for open shots. And, And Desmond Cambridge lives off something like that. He was 9 for 15 from the field, 7 for 11 from three. 25 points for the sophomore guard, the co-Ivy League player of the week, again, for the second week in a row. Um, This was just Brown, I think, exactly as Mike Martin would envision them. If he goes to bed at night and has a dream about how well his team can play, I think we saw it for 40 minutes against the Aztecs. That was it. There's no question about it. You know, Brown is not a big, strong team when they get into the Ivies. You know, you're talking about Yale. Harvard probably has the best pure talent. Uh, Penn is very good. Princeton is very good. Princeton just went out and paid our friend Bobby Hurley a visit at Arizona State and and beat them. Yeah, beating Arizona State, uh, the first game for the Sun Devils after they knocked off number one Kansas. So that gives you an idea of how well Princeton played on that night. Yeah, so, you know, Brown's good, but again, the top of the Ivy League is very good. uh, And, you know, Brown is undersized, but offensively they can really get it going. And I think that's Mike Martin will be relying more on his offense than his defense. He's always, you know, stressed defense, and that's usually been the issue in the last couple of years when Brown just falls a little short of that Ivy League tournament. And that is the goal, Bill, in the Ivy League, is to be in that that Final Four. 
this year the tournament is shifting from the Palestra to Yale. So uh, oh, it is. It is. So it's. I a, didn't know that. A little better situation for uh, fans here in Rhode Island, and uh, hopefully they'll have the chance to do that. But long way to go. Uh, needless to say, for uh, for Brown. With the Ivy League schedule uh, around the corner. Uh, lastly, Bryant. Uh, Bryant is three and eight. I know we touched on them at the top of the podcast here, but uh, also a chance at, at a big time win. They couldn't close the door at Iowa, nationally ranked Iowa, uh, last week. But an awful lot of uh, positives out of that one. Yeah, a 72-67 game, one that Bryant was in all the way down to the end uh, against an Iowa team who, quite frankly, is just much better than they are man for man. Uh, But it was a game that I thought Bryant played very intelligently. They bled the clock for a lot of the second half. They limited the possessions. Um, They made 10 three-pointers, which is a great equalizer uh, when you're playing against more talented teams. We saw a nice breakout from Adam Grant. He had 23 points in this game. Uh, A guy who, as we know, can be the alpha on a pretty good team. Um, He's a guy who who scores about as easily as he gets out of bed. Um, Tanner Johnson had a nice game, made four threes, had 16 points. The, The guy for me, though who really helped Bryant stay in this one was Joe Kaspersack, the, the freshman guard from New Haven. Plays about as tough a, as you would expect a guy from New Haven to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, had 13 points. He was the co-NEC Rookie of the Week. Um, and just a guy who you see the sort of intangibles and, and the toughness and the leadership potential that Jared Grasso can build around going forward. Bill, that's it. Uh, first of many here in the um, new year. I wish you New Year, uh, Happy New Year and all of our listeners, and we will be back next week with another Providence Journal Pick and Pop podcast.